Hi, welcome to the Career Refresh Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Griffin. I'm a former media and marketing executive turned career strategist and executive coach. I spent my career working my way up and through the ranks of global organizations and startups. And today I show others how to do the same. Join me each week as we discuss the strategies and actionable steps to leverage your strengths, increase your confidence, and develop your career well-being. Ready? Let's do it. Hey, friends. Welcome back. Okay. I am guessing that over the last few weeks, you have heard about the term quiet quitting. It's all over TikTok. It's all over all the socials. And when major news organizations like Fortune, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, HuffPo are writing about it, you know that it's a big thing. (laughs) So while I've seen employees, influencers, and pundits talk about it, I also think it's notable that I've yet to see a CEO, a head of growth, or a head of people, or a head of HR talk about it. And if you've seen that, definitely send it to me at Jill um, at hello at jillgriffincoaching.com because I would love to read it. Okay, quiet pitting. So videos about the phrase quiet quitting have been generating millions of views on TikToks as young professionals are rejecting the idea of going above and beyond in their careers. And they're using this hashtag quiet quit or quiet quitting. And it's not about just leaving your company or avoiding work. It's about setting boundaries to pursue a meaningful life outside of work and working hard to regain or retain a healthy life work integration. And still staying at their jobs. So while there is a hearty, sometimes healthy debate about whether this is good for you or your career, there's also been talk about how workers, especially millennials, are just lazy and that if work's so tough, then maybe they should quit. Well, that's an extremely privileged thing to say because not everyone can just walk away from a job. In my personal experience as a traumatic brain injury survivor, Trust me, I would have loved to have been able to take a pause and recover, but I needed my employer-sponsored healthcare to get well, and I needed the money from my job to feed myself while I got well and to pay my rent. So it wasn't so much easy as, you know what, I need to get out of here. And with everything, I mean, everything that is going on in our world right now, how can any of us be surprised that this is what people are talking about? I mean, I've come to expect this, that after the great resignation, which I still call the great reassessment, that people are rethinking what it is that they want out of life and out of this thing we call work. But people are struggling, they're hurting, they're stressed out, they're burnt out, and their well-being is at stake. And Trying to find the balance between your personal needs like money, intellectual stimulation, a purpose, creating value in the world with the untenable hustle culture and this vibe that we've been under for years, it's, it, you know, it's no wonder again why we're at this explosion of the quiet quit. And we're only now starting to talk about well-being at work. We need to be talking about well-being, mental health, brain health, all of these things because they're really impacting us. So as I defined it, it is, you know, you're doing the baseline of work in your job so that it's enough to get the job done, the requirements done, but not get fired. And I want to first also like 
pause on the idea that this is not a new concept. It's essentially pulling back or pausing on your work that because you're not actually leaving or quitting yet, you're actually thinking about, well, what is that right exchange between the money, the benefits, the experience, the collaboration, the contribution for what you're giving, which is your labor. So I want to point out a few ways in which I've seen this in the past. And while the energy from it is different, the idea is the same. So first we have unions and they have called it the work to rule, which is a form of protest where employees do exactly what's stated in the contract, nothing more. And what this usually does is that it means that there may be a slowdown in production or productivity, and it becomes a crucial contract negotiation tactics. Another one is 40 years ago, and you may have heard this one, the women of Iceland went on a strike. They refused to work, cook, or look after their children for one day, just one day, folks. And it was a moment that changed the way that women were seen in the country, and it helped Iceland be at the forefront of fighting for equality. 90% of the women in the country decided to demonstrate their importance by going on a strike. And it's been said that the country was paralyzed for the day, and it really opened the eyes of many men. Banks, factories, shops, schools, nurseries all had to close because fathers had no choice. They either had to bring their children to work or homeschool, you know, parent their child that day while their, their, the woman in their life was on this day of a strike. So it was a major step forward in gender equality and equal pay for the women of Iceland. Another example is in the sober community. The sober community calls it a sober job. Again, the energy here is totally different, but it's the idea about not taxing yourself. It's about finding the priority to put on your sobriety and your recovery and getting well and keeping stress and anxiety down so that you can do your job, but that you still have time to focus on your number one priority of recovery. Consultants and service-based businesses will call this out of scope. And as a gal who comes out of uh, advertising and creative and media agencies, (laughs) um, out of scope can mean many things. But for this conversation, out of scope I'm looking at means anything outside the initial parameters of the contract and what we've agreed to pay. And while there are many things out of scope, I mean, here there are additional tasks or changes or requirements. It's all being done without the reduction of other items or an increase in fees for the service. And there have only been a few times in my agency career did I ever see this being enacted. And it was usually when we had like leadership had had it and they were finally like not going to repitch the business and anyway. And one of the times was myself saying, no, we're not doing this as a, as a leader of an account. Um, and basically it's fear-based, right? We're afraid that the client's going to put the account into the review and the agency's going to lose the business. However, having an account that is staffed too lean to actually get the work done and keep a profit high is just going to keep the cost down for the client, but it completely crushes the creativity, the morale, the mental health, the physical health of the team. No one wants to work this way. And it's what's happening now. And then this idea of, of, again, the great reassessment, many places are still extremely short staffed and they're, they're, They've needed or expected their remaining staff to pick up the slack. And while that is understandable because we are in um, jobs that we're often salaried employees, so we're not working a set amount of hours, 
There's also a little bit of like, okay, people, at a certain point, this is getting crazy. You know, it's very common, again, from the world I come from, both in consulting and agency world, where if the average day was calculated on 37.5 hours for a full-time employee or an FTE, it was very often that you would be working 60 to 80 hours. So effectively, every employee was actually working two spots, but the client or the contract only was compensating for one spot. So you've effectively created a situation where the client is thrilled because they're getting their job and their their task or their account done really cheaply. The company is psyched because the company is taking that profit and everything falls on the employee. It's that invisible labor where the employee, there's no cash and prizes at the end of the rainbow. The employee still gets a set wage where the company has a profit and the client or the brand gets uh, you know, great labor for really cheap. And I know no one wants it this way. No one wants to set out it this way, but it's just always been the thing that like, all right, well, that's the way it works. And again, it all falls to the employee. So there's a woman on, on TikTok recently, uh, Claudia Alick, and she's at, um, Claudia Alick Love. That's her handle. And she's, she stated that it's not quiet quitting. It's resisting wage theft. Every couple of years, people try to repackage a good idea in a way that obfuscates it and makes it harder to actually get people to do it. So you're not quiet quitting. You're just resisting being stolen from. And I mean, I think she has millions of views on that at this point, which is the sentiment of what these people are feeling going into this. So here's the thing. I've been in positions where while I received compensation, I was effectively trading my labor for appreciation. And it wasn't reciprocated. There wasn't a pause, a comp day, a balance. It was just get it done. And in the last few years as a consultant, I made the mistake of bartering for services and then (laughs) over-delivering. We had a clear scope, but then COVID shut down my client's business. Um, I also do work as a fractional strategy officer or a fractional COO, and that's what I'm talking about. So because COVID had shut down my client's business and she didn't have the way to make money, I didn't really know what to do. And as we've been saying for a while, we're in unprecedented times. So I continued to service the business, racking up and tracking my hours in exchange for that barter. But my client came to expect that over-delivery. And then she became quite abusive due to her own stress and her own anxiety around what was going on in her business. So there was no way for her to meet the actual obligations of the contract because they were now closing the business. So while she had plenty of money to pay me, I didn't have a backup, uh, a fallback within my scope. It's my fault. I didn't have it in my scope. I mean, you could say, what's the way of doing business and who do you want to do business with? Okay, clear. Got that message, universe. But in the reality, I didn't have the protection in my scope. So after nine months of servicing them, I chose to consciously end it. I chose to consciously give them two weeks notice because I wanted to end it with professionalism. I have a high level of responsibility and I wanted to tie it up with grace and excellence, right? So I work with people who are constantly trying to find the right balance, the right exchange on how to choose their purpose. Like how do you add value into the world? How do you be intellectually stimulated and also be compensated at market rates? And that's where the solution of quiet quitting I have a little bit of a challenge with the way we're approaching this. So when we're clear in our career identity, which I define as your strengths, your skills, your values, and your beliefs, and then we choose our purpose based on that identity, that we've connected our purpose based on our 
identity. And I mean, we get super, super clear on your non-negotiables. We come to this discussion or the idea of a quiet quit with a different negotiation or a shift in on our in our way of approaching the negotiation, right? Because now we're empowered because we're clear. Clear is kind. Unclear is unclined, to quote Brene Brown. So my concern with quiet quitting is the same as when someone says, like, I got to get out of this job. My boss at my workplace is totally toxic. It's like something is happening to you and you have to run from it. And when you consciously choose what you want to do, you then get to choose how you want to go about it. And if you don't clean it up, whether you have small T trauma or big T trauma, clean up your thoughts, your choices, you're going to recreate this situation, maybe not in the exact same way, but you're going to have similar circumstances because then you're choosing what's next under some level of stress or duress. And the quitting, I mean, I don't want you to quiet quit. I want you to consciously choose to purposely pick or deliberately define, right? I don't want to quit something. I don't want that energy because I want to choose something. And what you focus on increases. So what are you choosing in your career? Let me know. And I'll put the details in the show notes again on how to reach me. But if you want help trying to create your career identity and choose your non-negotiables and figure out what's possible, schedule an appointment with me. I'd love to help you. All right, friends, I appreciate you so much. And thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Career Refresh Podcast. If you're enjoying this and you want more information, go to my website, jillgriffincoaching.com. There you can find information on how to work with me one-on-one or my group programs, or even bring me into your workplace. I'll put the link to my website in the show notes. But hey, listen, before you go, do me a favor, rate and review this podcast because it definitely helps me get the word out to people everywhere so that they can also thrive in the workplace. All right, friends, I appreciate you. I'll see you soon. Thank you.